0: If the leading incidents of S.F. Eucridge's disreputable career are to be given to the public, and not, as some might suggest, decently hushed up, I suppose I am the man to write them. Eucridge and I have been intimate since the days of school. Together we sported on the green, and when he was expelled no one missed him more than I. An unfortunate business, this expulsion. Eucridge's generous spirit, ever ill-attuned to school rules, caused him eventually to break the solemnest of them all by sneaking out at night to try his skill at the coconut shies of the local village fair, and his foresight in putting on scarlet whiskers and a false nose for the expedition was completely neutralised by the fact that he absent-mindedly wore his school cap throughout the entire proceedings.' he left the next morning, regretted by all. After this there was a hiatus of some years in our friendship. I was at Cambridge, absorbing culture, and Eucridge, as far as I could gather from his rare letters and the reports of mutual acquaintances, flitting about the world like a snipe. Somebody met him in New York, just off a cattle ship. Somebody else saw him in Buenos Aires. "'Somebody again spoke sadly of having been pounced on by him at Monte Carlo and touched for a fiver. It was not until I settled down in London that he came back into my life. We met in Piccadilly one day and resumed our relations where they had been broken off. Old associations are strong, and the fact that he was about my build and so could wear my socks and shirts drew us very close together. Then he disappeared again and it was a month or more before I got news of him. "'It was George Tupper who brought the news. George was head of the school in my last year, and he has fulfilled exactly the impeccable promise of those early days. He's in the Foreign Office, doing well and much respected. He has an earnest, pulpy heart, and takes other people's troubles very seriously.' "'Often he had mourned to me like a father over Eucridge's erratic progress through life, "'and now, as he spoke, he seemed to be filled with a solemn joy as over a reformed prodigal. "'Have you heard about Eucridge?' said George Tupper. "'He has settled down at last, gone to live with an aunt of his "'who owns one of those big houses on Wimbledon Common. "'A very rich woman.' I am delighted. It will be the making of the old chap. I suppose he was right in a way, but to me this tame subsidence into companionship with a rich aunt in Wimbledon seemed somehow an indecent, almost a tragic end to a colourful career like that of S. F. Eucridge. And when I met the man a week later my heart grew heavier still. It was in Oxford Street, at the hour when women come up from the suburbs to shop, and he was standing among the dogs and commissionaires outside Selfridges. His arms were full of parcels, his face was set in a mask of wan discomfort, and he was so beautifully dressed that for an instant I did not recognise him. Everything which the correct man wears was assembled on his person, from the silk hat to the patent leather boots. And, as he confided to me in the first minute, he was suffering the tortures of the damned. The boots pinched him, the hat hurt his forehead, and the collar was worse than the hat and boots combined. She makes me wear them, he said moodily, jerking his head towards the interior of the store and uttering a sharp howl as the movement caused the collar to gouge his neck. "'Still,' I said, trying to turn his mind to happier things, "'you must be having a great time. "'George Tupper tells me that your aunt is rich. "'I suppose you're living off the fat of the land.' "'The browsing and sluicing are good,' admitted Eucridge, "'but it's a wearing life, laddie, a wearing life, old horse.'